Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. It's Friday, May 20th. Hope all of you are doing well uh, out there as we chug along toward the end of May, the coming of summer months. Uh, I guess summer is June, July, August. I know that the official start of summer is a different date. Uh, but certainly hope all of you are doing well out there in Gamecock land. Thanks to Heritage Digital, as always, uh, for being kind of our lead-off sponsor uh, of this show. We call it the News and Notes segment. Baseball last night, disaster. 14-5 to Gators over the Gamecocks down in Gainesville. Uh, ugly. <clears throat> and it was ugly on Wednesday. So, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's going to happen with this program. We'll talk about that more here in a little bit. But, uh, man. It's uh, definitely <laughs> – I think it's safe to say the Gamecocks are probably not making the NCAA tournament. Uh, and and I've said this before, you know, I'm, I'm not – I'm never one to count any team out, you know. Where, there, where there's a will, there's a way. Stranger things have happened, but, you know, you, you sort of look at the pitching situation and how that tournament in Hoover is set up. I almost think Carolina would be better – better served in a regional with four teams uh, with a lack of pitching depth, but you're talking about a big 12 team tournament. I mean, there's, you, you get deep in that thing and, you know, you're throwing whoever out there on the mound <laughs> uh, and that's baseball, you know? So I would, I would say 99.98% chance the game guys get left out uh, for the second time in, in four seasons, Mark Kingston has coached. I'll remind everyone, Chad Holbrook was dismissed after going to two Super Regionals and being a regional host in five years because he missed the tournament uh, two out of three. But I, I don't know what's going to happen uh, with Kingston. I, I can't tell you for sure that uh, they're going to make a change. Uh, and I've heard all kinds of different rumors about why. Uh, and, and I'll just say this, uh, if, if it has anything to do at all, with the board of trustees and the buyouts and, and all that 
jazz, the intellectually dishonest positioning by the board about buyouts. Um, I think that's unfortunate and and really a loser's mentality. Uh, I I think it would be a a big different story if the the university's athletic department wasn't Generating a hundred and what forty six million a year, you're talking about what a million five for the buyout that you usually spread out <clears throat> in payments over time. Anyway, it's not like you write a check. They did that for Muschamp, but uh, they kind of negotiated it down a little bit. But you know, normally you, you don't have a lump sum payment. You'd kind of just keep the guy on the payroll until it's all paid off, and. Uh, you know, buyouts are part of life uh, in Southeastern Conference, uh, especially with sports everybody cares about. And certainly the University of South Carolina, people care about baseball. And uh, now, look, there is an argument to be made on the other end of this. And uh, that argument would be, <clears throat> well, you know, this is really full season number four. You had one season uh, in a first year situation. You were game away from Omaha against Arkansas. Um, second year and a tough year in the SEC, or third year, sorry. Uh, second year was a disaster, obviously the worst uh, record ever in the SEC for Carolina baseball. Uh, third year got canceled, 12-4 and four is where that ended. Who knows if that team would have made a regional or not. Uh, I, I think those 16 games, I mean, 12-4 and four record's good. But I think it's kind of misleading considering they lost series to Northwestern and Clemson. Came back the next year with a good team and a brutally tough SEC. Uh, a lot of players came back because the, the previous season was cut short and the Major League Baseball draft was not as long. Um, and the Gamecocks held their own, finished, what, sixth, seventh, uh, got to host a regional, and then choked at the plate. Uh, which was not up to standard. But if you look at it like, well, two of those three years, you know, re- sometimes you lose regionals. That, that, that's just what happens. And the Super Regional is pretty good. Um, and then that one bad year. And then you, if you look at this year in a vacuum and you say, well, who could have helped all the injuries? You know, then, then that's, that's a competitive argument uh, to bring him back. I just, you know, that and the fact he's got, uh, new assistant coaches on staff um, who are pretty good, you know, Scott Wingo included, uh, you know, Calais is really good, the pitching coach. I mean, they're all upgrades, uh, and, you know, and I'm getting that from John Whittle, who knows. And, um, you know, well, let's give him a chance with this new staff and see what they can, what he can do and excuse the, the year that got canceled and excuse the, uh, the other, um, you know, excuse the other uh, bugaboos, but I, I, I mean, I just don't know that that's the standard that this program is set. And I'm sorry for getting into it right away off the bat. I just, you know, I, I just don't, I don't get it. Um, you know, with the, I, I understand it. I mean, to me, that's a lot better excuse than, oh, we don't want to pay the buyout. You know, because all that says is we don't care about baseball, and that's not fair to you, those of you that you know, love that sport, that show up at Founders Park, that have gone on the road, that have spent money going to Omaha, that donate for season tickets. Is that fair to you guys? 
oh, we, you know, we've got the money, but we can't spend it because our board of trustees is clueless about how big time college athletics operates. And so we're just little old Carolina and we're, we're not going to, we're going to pass and, you know, throw up a bunch of excuses as to why. Um, and that's not cool either. And, you know, my feeling is, is, is that this is, um, I don't know, you know, I, I'll have to get more information uh, before the blame can be cast <laughs> uh, in, in certain areas, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I just don't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of beside myself. I mean, this, you know, it, it, it's not just the pitching this year, guys. It's, it's the batting too. They haven't, you know, they're, they're not that good at the plate. You know, it's gotten better as the season's going on. You know, there's games where they score runs and the pitching blows it. But, man, oh, man. I mean, you know, you, you got the last home game of the year. Charlotte comes in and, you know, beats you eight to three. And, and talks a lot of smack out of the dugout. It looked like on TV, I guess. That's embarrassing for this program. Uh, the midweek losses are terribly embarrassing. I mean, if – uh, if, if they hadn't lost those and then, you know, one or two SEC games that they lost late go their way, maybe uh, maybe you're talking about a different situation. But, um, you know, I shoot, you get punked at home by USC Upstate, Presbyterian, Xavier. You lose to the Citadel. I mean, nobody around Carolina likes that. And so, <clears throat> you know, that's the deal there with baseball. And, uh Game two against the Gators is today or later tonight, and then game three, and then that's it, and they go to Hoover. So, you know, we'll see what happens, you know, with all of that. I, I just uh, – yeah, I, I'm just kind of beside myself that this isn't something that's, you know, cut and dry. Um, and I'll say this too, you know, I'll, I'll go, go with this. And, and I'm not coming down Tanner uh, or – you know, Carolina or, or anything like that. But if you're going to use COVID as a reason, right, you know, then then why – yeah, so Will Muschamp – and I made a, a pretty good case, I think, at the end of 2019, uh, just saying, look, in SEC football, you don't survive a later in 10-year disaster. I mean, not a lot of schools do. Look at Butch Jones at Tennessee, pretty good till his last year. Uh, Jim McElwain. At Florida, you know, two division titles, and then the bottom fell out and he gets fired. Now, he lied about getting death threats. That was probably something that facilitated that. And then, lo and behold, Dan Mullen has one bad year. Uh, coming off a year where they played in Atlanta, you know, and, and gave Bama all they wanted. Uh, he has a down year, and it's not up to standard, so he's gone. Um, Mississippi State. Joe Moorhead got out. Now, there were some off-the-field stuff. But some of this off-the-field stuff, you know, that the, they – I don't want to say it's trumped up. You know, look at Auburn. They try to do it. Look, look at Tennessee under Pruitt. Three and seven in the pandemic year, and they, they fire him. Um, and so I made a case for Muschamp then. Uh, I'm looking back on it, and uh, from the standpoint of the Gamecocks, we all should probably be thankful uh, that he remained the coach. And, and, and you can't give – you know, anybody at Carolina foresight, you know, they had great foresight. Nobody knew the pandemic was coming. Nobody knew we were going to go through a summer of 2020 where there was a lot of unrest in our country. 
Uh, and Will Muschamp held the entire organization together. Uh, very little attrition, very little opting out, that kind of thing. Um, and I got to get, I got to give him credit for it. I mean, he managed the pandemic as well as anybody else. Had you had a new coach coming in there, uh, even if it's Shane Beamer, who's great at building relationships, who also deserves credit that this group is still intact. Uh, but coming in there without relationships, spring practice gets canceled. Everybody kind of goes home. I'm not so sure. Number one, I'm not so sure a lot of these kids in the 2020 class stick. Uh, and that would include guys like Jaheim Bell, guys like Jordan Birch, guys like Boogie Huntley, uh, guys like Mocha, guys that are going to be counted on to play uh, quite a bit, you know, this year on this team that'll be good. Um, so I don't know that they hold on to those guys. You know, I thought Muschamp's 2020 class was more than solid. You got Birch at the end. That was a big lift. Um, and I'm not so sure the transfer portal didn't catch up with them either. Uh, but anyway, that's beside that, you know, and that's, that's why I'm glad <laughs> in, in hindsight, they didn't get rid of Muschamp. You know, you, a two and eight record, um, with a bunch of opt-outs and, you know, in that very weird season in the SEC of 2020, you know, you, you can, you, you can handle that now when you look at what's in place for 2022 and what was in place last year, 2021, you know, and Beamer had to kind of teach these guys, I think, or not necessarily Shane Beamer, but uh, the coaching staff had to kind of help these guys along. So they believe, I mean, and, and believe me, I think it took most of the year to get them to do it, uh, but they've changed it. And the attitude now is, is more of a winning attitude and all that, but they still are players that, stuck with the program during that time. And so my point to all this is, is, you know, Will Muschamp was two and five, ugly losses, defense was falling apart, lots of COVID opt-outs too. I mean, you know, we didn't realize this at the time when I got smacked by LSU that night in Baton Rouge when they were sitting at two and two and LSU was struggling. Um, you know, two or three defensive linemen just opted out the week of the game, just didn't want to play. I mean, it, you know, and that was their right at the time. And you're missing, you know, guys because of COVID. And by the time they played Kentucky at the end of the year, there were 48 guys on the roster. And I said, what do you expect? I mean, that year was going to be the year that teams kind of held, you know, kind of didn't get impacted by COVID and stuff like that. Yeah, I mentioned Jordan Birch earlier. I mean, that guy, he's really going into his second year of college football because 2020, he was just in and out. And you can't develop that way. Plus, you had no offseason program. I mean, it, you know. It's not to mention the 2021 recruiting class, which I think there's going to be guys like Juju McDowell uh, in that class that uh, end up you're going to look back at it and go, wow, that was not a very good class. But at the end of the day, there were some players that played a lot of big time football and probably were in the NFL uh, after all is said and done. And I'm not predicting Juju's in the NFL, I think, as a kick returner, though. Uh, if I'm an NFL scout, that's that's I'm, I'm definitely wanting him. <laughs> But, uh, you know, so, so, so that's new. But you fired Will in the middle of a two and five pandemic year. Uh, the intent was to fire Frank Martin after a six and 15 year in the pandemic, right? During the pandemic. Uh, and then there was a mandate on Frank Martin, make the tournament or not. And he didn't, although he won 18 games and, and you got rid of him. So, 
where is uh where is uh you know where's the uh i don't know you know the consistency if you're gonna not if you're just gonna use COVID as a reason i guess uh, to bring kingston back and look i'm not saying that i wish will muschamp would have been given another year uh, and i'm not you know i think you could maybe make a case for frank uh, especially if some of the recruiting stuff had happened uh, as was talked about. Uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, I don't, I, I continue to not believe that it was this past year or even the pandemic year that did Frank in. I think it was that 2020 year where everything got called off. Um, and you look at that team, that team was definitely good enough to be in the NCAA tournament. I mean, a road win at Virginia was huge. They beat Clemson. They beat Kentucky. They won at Arkansas. I mean, that team had some big-time wins, but they also had some horrible losses. And there was really no reason to be on the bubble at that point. They should have been safely in, okay? Um, and they probably, from what I was told, would either had to won the SEC tournament four wins in four days or at least got to Sunday with three wins. And that was unlikely given the – the history of the SEC tournament under Frank Martin. So, you know, that team, I think I, I wouldn't have been surprised. Now, I don't know this for sure, but there were rumblings. I wouldn't have been surprised had that team, you know, gone one and done in the SEC tournament. And even if they'd have made the NIT, I don't know that a change wouldn't have come then. You know, I think the Frank Martin thing was sort of lingering. Uh, and now look, I, you know, uh, you can't live in the past. I mean, you have to kind of judge things for what the future is. Uh, right now, you know, I think Gamecock baseball needs to make a change. But maybe if they don't, and all of a sudden Mark Kingston goes on and the next five years are amazing, trips to Omaha, and this team start program starts playing up the standard again, you know, hey, I was wrong. Glad they kept him, you know, that type of thing. So – you know, we'll, we'll see sort of how it works out. You know, the Kingston hire in and of itself, you know, I, I honestly believe it's the same thing that I talked about during the basketball search. I, I just don't know that the best way to hire coaches is to go interview and then give it to the best interview. I, I, I just – and I'm pretty sure that's what happened with Kingston. Great interview. And, and look, I'm not saying – I'm not just saying, hey, you know, Tanner and, and Chance Miller, whoever are doing the hiring at Carolina, they're just out there going, hey, uh, we're going to hang a sign out and everybody come by and we'll interview you and the best one gets I, – I don't think that's happening. Uh, but I think when you do do due diligence work, there are so many coaches out there that everybody universally is going to say good things about. Um, if they feel they're ready. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of red flags that come up, you know, when you're looking at a Mark Kingston, if, if you ask people at Illinois state and South Florida, they love him Tulane, Miami, wherever he was an assistant, you know, big time programs there when he was there. Uh, you know, I, Illinois state's a brutal job. So is South Florida. Well, although it shouldn't be. And, and look, I mean, you know, that, I, I, I don't think that, you know, that was something that, that, that was necessarily a, a step in a pothole. Uh, 
you know, I don't think Muschamp was because I think at the time when it got down to the Muschamps and Rich Rods and folks like that, and you're looking at a roster that the coaches that were departing said had you know, no more than 25 SEC level guys on it. You need a recruiter and you look at it. And, well, Muschamp's first class, a lot of guys in that class they put together 30 days are in the NFL or played significant amount of snap amounts of snaps while, while he's at Carolina. And Muschamp uh, was the best interview, I've no doubt in my mind. <laughs> Just didn't work out. Some of the same old things came back to haunt him. That's going to be a 30 for 30 one day. Why was Will Muschamp not a more successful head coach? And I think I think there's 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 several reasons there. Uh, and we'll get into that at some point. But uh, and look, I'm not defending hires. H- hires are either going to work out or they're not. Uh, I will tell you, Ray Tanner's not the only AD in the country that's made a bad hire. He just, you know, until Beamer has a big, big season, which, you know, could be this year, could be down the road, I have no doubt that he will. You know, Tanner doesn't have any wins. You know, I mean, you could look and explain it away with Holbrook. I mean, you know, for those of you that don't think Eric Hyman would have hired Chad Holbrook had Ray Tanner left as the baseball coach, uh, I've got a lakefront chalet uh, in, I'm sorry, an oceanfront chalet in Nebraska to sell you because, yeah, it's good price. Um, you know, that, that anybody in the country would have done that. I mean, and, and that, that's just kind of what I mean. Look at, look at Duke and North Carolina basketball. Who took over there? Hubert Davis at UNC. He was an assistant. And John Shear takes over at Duke for Coach K. Uh, you know, Ray Perkins took over at Alabama football when the bear retired because he was a former assistant, you know, it just, that just happens like that a lot, you know, Carolina, when, you know, Spurrier left, they didn't really have a guy. I mean, Sean Elliott probably would have done fine. Um, but the loss to Citadel, you know, that kind of did him in there and he's a very successful head coach at Georgia state now. And, if he ever gets the power five level, I'm sure he's going to be really good. Um, you know, GA Mangus would have been a guy that um, would have, I, I think that his setup at Carolina, along with, you know, sort of the, some of the quarterbacks that didn't work out, which I don't think were his fault. Cause I think he was recruiting to one system and Spurrier and Spurrier Jr. recruiting to another, which is weird, but uh, we can get into that one day too. Uh, but he had been a head coach before and had, uh, won a lot of games at the division three level and he would have made sense, but you know, you had the off the field thing that happened and for whatever reason, people just held that against him. So um, who else on that staff, you Lorenzo Ward, Steve Spurrier Jr. Aren't going to get it. You know, I mean, not at the time at all, you know, not, not under any circumstances. So you had to go for, had to go the outside, uh, you know, and you got Tom Herman and then Kirby smart and then, woo, <laughs> you know, uh, and so that happened. You know, the Kingston thing, it was disappointing. They couldn't get O'Sullivan, and then that happened. You know, this latest basketball hire, I'm not convinced after bait, after having more conversations with people uh, that Sean Miller ever was a realistic possibility. Um, I think a lot of the people that want to have a say <laughs> at Carolina uh, maybe thought it was when it wasn't. Um, because I, you know, even if he'd not gone back to Xavier, 
I'm not convinced now. Now I was, but I'm not convinced now, knowing what I know, that that was that was either ever going to happen. And so, you know, did, did they miss out on a Dennis Gates because of that? Because there was a push to go get Miller. I don't know. Uh, I do think there's something to be said though. Um, for at some point in some sport, Ray Tanner and, 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 and the folks trying to make a, a big splash hire, uh, you know, and, and look with Miller, they did it. I, I would have liked to have seen a little more, some more big names or something, maybe a Thad Mata, something like that. But, you know, and, and I'm not, you know, Lamont Paris, I, I don't, I have no idea what to expect. You know, I, I, I like some things I've seen so far, but, you know, with that program that, that needed kind of a, a PR boost, uh, you know, I, that's not Lamont Paris. He, he's not going to be front and center uh, on social media, things like that. You know, he'll be, I guess, out and about and shake hands and kiss babies. And everybody that's run into him on the Gamecock Club Tour meeting says he's great, you know. And I believe that. Uh, and I believe in his staff. I, th- I think, you know, you, you look at the Tim Buckley's of the world, Shannon and um, Kerry Rich, of course, you know, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, you, you, you kind of look at it and you're like, well, you know, again, it went to the best interview. Uh, and so we'll see sort of, uh, see sort of what happens <laughs> with that. Um, you know, and, and, and I'll be honest, I still thought, at the end, when it came down to B.J. Mackey and uh, Lamont Paris, I think you needed a guy that, you know, I think it's easier to sell a guy with a zero and zero record, kind of like Shane Beamer, that's going to come in that everybody loves uh, to get things going than it is to sell a guy with a similar uh, long-term resume as a Mark Kingston or a Will Muschamp. Uh, and, and maybe that's not fair. Uh, because Kingston's three years at South Florida were up, down, up. And I think Illinois State, he made it the tournament his first year and then didn't make it again. He won a couple of championships. Uh, you know, Muschamp obviously was, you know, average way up with the 11-2 and two in 2012. And then 2013 was a disaster. And then 2014 was slightly better. There were, there were two games – Three, one of one was against Gamecocks. Gamecocks and LSU game that year. You know, that, those were games that Gator team should have had. But then you had the embarrassment to Missouri, uh, where I think they held Missouri to 70 yards and lost 42 to 13. How does that even happen? Um, but but then they had a game canceled too. So had they held on against the Gamecocks and LSU and played that game against Idaho in the opener. Then you're looking at going from four and eight to either nine and three or ten and three, and um, I think Will Muschamp's around to coach those two SEC East uh, winning Gator teams. Um, you know, but it's similar. You know, similar that you know at Chattanooga he wasn't uh, in the postseason, but one year out of five, and you just fired a guy for not making the postseason. And uh, you know, I. So who knows? Who knows? And I also felt strongly that when you have a, a program that's sitting there that's, you know, with the exception of the COVID year, has not had a losing season in conference, but once, and that was the year after the Final Four, and they were 7-11, had a winning season overall. 
you know, when you look at how this program, even with really good teams like under Dave Odom, struggled mightily in the league, you know, struggled to win in, in the SEC, had to make the NIT and then won that, but struggled in the league. Uh, you know, you, you sort of look at it and you're like, well, if you're going to replace him, you know, uh, you probably, you know, don't need to make this thing a three or four year rebuild. And when you look at Lamont Paris's resume, that's exactly what he did. Now his starting point in Carolina, it's probably gonna be a little bit better with the transfer portal and all that than it was at Chattanooga where he just was playing freshman. But, you know, and, and look, I, this has nothing to do really with if Lamont Paris is a good coach or not. It's the optics of the search. You know, so I can say all that to say this, you know, Ray Tanner needs a win. Uh, and, and the best place he could possibly get a win, a, like a no-brainer win, uh, is with baseball. Because unlike the men's basketball job, which is a bad job, you know, and, and look, I'm going to say this, there's a difference between team – program and job okay your team is year to year this year's team is this your program is you know current developments you know what's going on with the pro how are you recruiting you know what's your body of work like the last three or four years uh you know how many guys are you putting in the pros that that kind of thing it's a program uh the job is what's the potential here and the ceiling you know that's that's the that's the job you know, what, you know, is the best I'm going to do in – and, look, I, I think it's different in different sports, you know, because I think those parameters are established over time. And so you, you can say, well, this is a men's basketball program that went to the Final Four, and, yes, that's true. But how many NCAA tournaments have they been to? You know, they, they put it all together the one year, and Frank's an excellent, excellent – NCAA tournament coach, wait till he gets UMass in the tournament. He's going to either scare the bejesus out of people or get to the Sweet 16 or maybe get sent back to the Final Four, depending on how many players he can get. Um, you know, and you had a a player in Sundarius Thornwell that was older that, that basically took over the tournament uh, and an emerging pro in, in P.J. Dozier. You had a pro and a future pro in Chris Silva. You had Dwayne Notice who played his best basketball on both ends of the court during that time, shoot the three. Uh, Justin Mackey shows up and ends up being a guy off the bench that gave him a lift. Same with Hassani Gravit, uh, who's in the pros. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, you look at all that and it's like, well, it was an older team. It was a talented team. And then they all bought in on defense. And a team with that kind of length – uh, with Frank Barton coaching it and a guy like Thornwell to carry it, and everybody gets hot at the same time, like the second half against Duke. That's that. That's not. That wasn't a fluke. That was a really good basketball team putting it all together, uh, and beating people with their defense, et cetera. You know, still wish to have nightmares about the game in Phoenix. So, you know, but you look at the basketball program in general. Uh, the program, the job, okay, the job. And and you're like, well, four NCAA tournaments in 30 years in the SEC. Um, did get to some NITs. You know, the ceiling right now, because I'm not going back to the McGuire era because that was a different era of basketball. 
uh, you know, looking at the SEC, four and 30 years, you know, competitive, you know, not not like, you know, and you may say South Carolina is the, you know, the worst over that time period, but, you know, they won a championship, won a Final Four. They, they, they jump up and bite people, you know. Uh, this is a program that that is surprisingly good. This is a job that sometimes can be surprisingly good. But really the ceiling during this era was uh, Fogler and Odom, eight postseasons, NCAA and NIT, three NCAA, five NIT from like 96 to 06, two NIT titles, a runner-up. You know, Fogler had a two-seed and three-seed, lost in the first round. Odom had a 10-seed and lost in the first round. Um and eight out of 11 years, I mean, that was kind of the transition from Frank McGuire Arena to the Colonial Life Arena, period. Uh, you know, most years, Carolina basketball was in the postseason. You know, three that they weren't. And that's the high watermark, folks, uh, in terms of a stretch of period of time. And so that's where you got to look at when you look at the job. You, you can't just say, oh, Final Four, you know, and, and even if the NIT rules have not been in place, you know, like they are now, I, I, you know, Frank still, you know, let's say the screw job hadn't happened and the NIT rules were the old rules. He, still seven out of 10 years, he makes the postseason. So that would also be a high water mark, but, but you can't sit there and say, what if? Uh, and so the job, you know, cause that, that's what I'm talking about job. Uh, the job is not good. Uh, you know, you look at football though, and you see Steve Spurrier coming in here and, if you notice how he did it at Carolina, uh, you know, it wasn't just Steve Spurrier dialing up ball plays. He coached, you know, he's a good head coach. He hired good assistants until he didn't. And he won ball games And South Carolina was probably for four straight years, 2010, 2011, 2012, 20, they were the best team in the East. They just only won it once. And the scheduling stuff had a lot to do with it. Uh, and then in 2014, they're a defense away from winning it again, winning the East again. I mean, that that was really tough to swallow looking back on it because even though we all love those years and everybody loved the wins over Clemson and the trips to the Citrus Bowl and uh, the one trip to Atlanta, you know, you, you take that program, Carolina, and let's say the scheduling works out more in their favor and they go all five, five straight years to Atlanta – you know, who knows? They probably would have won one at some point. I don't really, I don't really, I think 2013 against Auburn would have been the best shot. Um, some of those Alabama teams, like, okay, so it would have been who were they playing? Well, let's think about it. Auburn in 2010, that was a mismatch, right? Uh, 2011, it would have been LSU, uh, who beat the crud out of Georgia. Uh, and that, that was the, the, uh, what's his name? The, the Honey Badger. And uh, that, that group that played for the national championship and lost to Bama in a rematch. 2012, Bama won the national championship. But, folks, Georgia, a team that Carolina whipped pretty soundly, Georgia was a play away from beating them at the dome. Could that have been? I mean, Spurrier, Connor Shaw, and those guys. Would Connor Shaw have even played? Would it have been Dylan Thompson? Because that was the Clemson year, remember? Uh, and then 2013 against Auburn. And the, and the reason I say Carolina would have had a shot, obviously at that time Auburn owned them, uh, was he'd have been dialing it up against Ellis Johnson, who he dialed it up in practice against a lot. And if we notice in 2014, he dialed it up against him down at Auburn. And 
you know, Auburn didn't have a great defense that year either. But Carolina just – there were guys running wide open that whole night. Uh, and so, I, I like Carolina's chances in 2013 better than uh, maybe Missouri, who played them. And, and then 2014, yeah, probably very little chance that 2014 team at Carolina uh, beats uh, Alabama that year. So, you know, in, in one of those years, they may have won it. And if not – who cares? They're the Buffalo Bills of the SEC championship game. They're still the kings of the East. They're their own division, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Missouri, Kentucky, all those teams. They're still the king of that division for five straight years. You know? And so when you look at job and you look at the football job, yes, it's challenging. And yes, for whatever reason, all of a sudden the state of South Carolina's numbers are down for players. And, uh, you know, yes, Georgia is is rocking and rolling. And yeah, you're still in the SEC. And uh, yeah, the schedule's ridiculous now because you got to play AM every year, but that's going to change soon. Uh, and yeah, Clemson's risen to a national power during this time period. And so, you know, there are challenges with this job, but you still look at the facilities, you still look at the fan support, you still look at the popularity of it, you still look at the number of great players. You know, South Carolina's been able to attract even when they're not winning. I mean, you know, Debo Samuel, Javon Kinlaw, uh, you know, was a first-rounder. You know, J.C. Horn was a first-rounder. You know, this past year in the draft was down a little bit, but a lot of that was largely because, you know, a lot of Carolina's best players came back. And still you put in Barre and Muse and Kevin Harris in there. Again, the SEC's leading rusher. I mean, individually you look at it and you know well, they get some good players you know things just hadn't gone their way a lot with the winning so uh the football job is better than the men's basketball job now I, now I don't know back in the when they hired uh eddie fogler even i don't know that you could say that then because you know basketball was only 12 years removed 13 years removed from mcguire retiring 20 years removed from being a national power in the acc uh, Fogler comes in and he gets it back quickly, three years, uh, to an SEC championship level, wins the SEC, unfortunate first-round losses. Uh, those teams probably were Sweet 16 or better when you get right down to it. But at that point in the mid-'90s, you, you had to say Carolina's basketball job is, is better. And that's probably why you, you had a lot of interest in it, you know. It's probably why Tubby Smith almost left Kentucky to take it. Jim Calhoun uh, went down the road pretty far with Mike McGee to take it. Well, it's just not like that anymore because it's been, uh, you know, 26 years with one shining moment, you know. And uh, and so that's, that's the football job is better. And, and I think Steve Spurrier and Lou Holtz both made the football job better because they showed that, you know, when you get the right players – and, you know, you, you, you coach well and, and, and you develop well and all that, you can win at South Carolina, you know. It, it, the only thing missing was a championship. And, and people don't realize this either, you know. You know, well, and I had somebody the other day because I was like, what's the, what's the baseline standard for all these programs? And I, I'm keeping rolling on. I'm, I'm going to get to my sponsors here in a second. Baseline standards for this program, for each program. And, you know, obviously with baseball, it's getting all, I mean, it's it's getting to the NCAA tournaments the minimum, right? Football, it's a bowl game. Men's basketball, you have to say it's kind of like an NIT-esque year is the minimum. 
but you know, I, I understand the expectation you should get in the NCAA tournament. I just don't know that it's realistic that it happens every single year. Uh, it'd be nice if it did. That's the next step, you know, more consistency in the postseason. Um, you know, and in 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 women's basketball, obviously it's get to the final four. <laughs> I mean, that program's on such a roll right now. So uh, you know, you, you look at it and, and, and somebody got on me. They're like, well, it's too high to say that, you know, South Carolina's best teams should be competing uh, to go to Atlanta in the division. Now, uh, the divisions are about to change here directly when, when Oklahoma and Texas come in the league. But for right now, I'll point this out to you. In 2000, Gamecocks are up 21 to three against Florida in the swamp. They lose. Spurrier got them good then. Uh, after blocking two punts and being up, scared the bejesus out of the Gators. Carolina wins that game. They go to Atlanta. Right there, Lou Holtz's second year. Play for the uh, – play Auburn for the SEC title. 05, Spurrier's first year, and it didn't seem like this at the time because there's some ugly losses early. There was a 17-15 loss at Georgia the second week of the season where Carolina missed an extra point. <laughs> And in that game, I was at Sanford Stadium that day. Carolina outplayed them and played really well. And uh, had Carolina won that with the way it ended up, with Carolina going on to beat Tennessee and Florida later in the year, Gamecocks would have gone to Atlanta that year. Gamecocks did go to Atlanta in 2010. Uh, I've talked about 2011 through 13, where one loss knocked them out. And then in 2014, uh, you know, they were, they were a stop away in every one of those leads they blew uh, from getting back. So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This program could be easily sitting on, you know, seven division titles since 2000. And coaches look at that when they're evaluating jobs. Um, so, you look at baseball, and obviously <laughs> – you know, you've seen what this program can do. And, you know, there is talent in the state, in North Carolina. I mean, all the recruiting areas, there's talent. I mean, these smaller schools, I mean, you're talking about a state where Coastal Carolina won a national championship in baseball. It's a baseball state. And you're close to other baseball states like Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, Florida. Uh, it's just kind of a life's gone out of it. So, you know, and, and, and so I wanted to get into that, you know, program team job, program team job. Right now, the program has slipped. The team is among the worst that they've had, but the job is still a top 10 job in the country. You know, same thing, you know, when people worry about football, oh, who's going to come here? It's not a good job. No, no, no. Don't listen to the talking heads because like I just pointed out, you know, this program easily with a few breaks here and there over the course of one game a season, and in 2014's case, three, which I'll never forget. I don't blame Steve Spurrier. After I lost that Tennessee game, I couldn't – I had to write poetry after that one. <laughs> uh, they can be sitting on seven division titles since 2000, and maybe one of those – you hit the lottery and win the whole thing, win the SEC championship. Which South Carolina would be that would have been the first non Big Six. The Big Six, for those who don't know, Alabama, Auburn, LSU, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia. They've won every single SEC football championship since the early 60s when Ole Miss and Archie Manning won it. So, you know, Carolina would have been right there outside of the Big Six and maybe one of the Big Seven. 
So tell me they can't compete in this league. They can. And, you know, I, I think Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier are both really good coaches, Hall of Famers for a reason. But it wasn't just them. I mean, you know, Spurrier is known as an offensive guy. Carolina's dominant on defense. You know, Holtz recruited and, and, and just got a bunch of guys to believe. And that's why he was a game away. You know, in 01, if you, if you, they were kind of in the mix as well in 01. Now, that big Florida game they got blown out at home with, even had they beaten Florida because they lost to Tennessee, I, I don't think that even in Florida beating them, it was a three way tie or something to go to Atlanta. But, uh, you know, 01 was interesting because they lost on a block field goal at Arkansas. They had another frustrating 17 to 10 loss at UT and then the Florida game. Those were the only three losses. Uh, so you could say, you know, they were kind of in the mix there, 10 points in two games. You know, so, so this program has been right there, but the margin for error is small. And I tell everybody this, the, the worst loss during this time was that loss at Tennessee in 2013. That was not a good Tennessee team. Uh, for some reason, a lot of their players played out of their minds that day. You know, Carolina did not have a great game plan in that one. And, yeah, I'll blame Steve Spurrier a little bit for that one. Uh, but, you know, margin of victory, Marquez North from Charlotte, North Carolina, was a recruiting win for, for Butch Jones. He's a freshman. You know, you got a mod Christian who was a late take for the Gamecocks out there at corner, and there's your inch. They say it's a game of inches. That was a game of inches. So nothing against a mod. Uh, last time I checked, Marquez North didn't do much of anything after that. But you're talking about a six-four elite athlete versus a guy that was kind of on the fence about, you know, playing baseball or, or football. Who, you know, at the end, Carolina was really his only offer. So you know, or one of them. So you know, and Ahmad played well a lot. You know, he just at that particular moment in time, I just remember thinking, this is that, that right there is about recruiting. And that's not to mention Devin Clowney was about a half of a step away from obliterating Justin Worley on that play. Uh, it just didn't happen. And that happened to Devin in high school, too, uh, when Northwestern played uh, South Point. Worley hit a big long one on. And that was something else. I don't remember if, Cord if Cordell Patterson, I think, was on that Trojans team. All right. So, anyway, I've, I've rambled on and on enough about all that. Do want to thank Cindy Searfoss of Colwell Baker Kane, who sponsors our podcast, The Analysis Segment. But I just blended it all together today. Heck, it's Friday. Uh, Cindy Searfoss, Colwell Baker Kane Real Estate, my hometown of Spartanburg. Had a great thread up on the bigspur.com today. I'm doing an AMA because Tony Morrell is uh, on vacation. Uh, talked about food and Spartanburg. We talked sugar and spice. We talked about the beacon. Talked about basils, wades, you know, all those good places. So shout out to my hometown. Um, she's married to a diehard Gamecock fan. She's been in the upstate for more than 35 years and would love to help you with your real estate needs. Contact Cindy at 864-414-5271 or C-Searfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at C-B-K-N-C-B. C A I N E dot com at Cindy Searfoss, 864 414 5271. Please, 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 uh, you know, uh, let, uh, you know, let Cindy help you with real estate. I'm 
pulling up here on Twitter and because uh, it's about time for the iHub Consulting mailbag. And um, I'll tell you this right now, uh, there's two ways to get in the mailbag. You can tweet to us at the Big Spur Pod and really a lot of uh, great stuff uh, right now uh, on the Twitter account from you guys. really appreciate that. Uh, and then you can email us inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com, of course. Uh, all right, so first one comes in from the Carolina Faithful. J.C. Sherbert's launching a Big Spur Pod daily morning show starting in July, and I could not be more excited about it. Best news I've had all year. I really enjoy listening to J.C. while I'm driving all over the place. Thank you, Carolina Faithful. And remember uh, what the setup's going to be. And uh, had a little snag. It's not going to affect anything, but uh, – the producer slash co-host I had in mind, he, he's decided, you know, it's not the right time in his life to do something like that. He would have been great. Trust me. Uh, but, I, you know, we'll fi- we'll figure out, like, what that setup's going to be. Um, but I still intend to do it. I mean, it, it'll, it'll, it just may be we don't have as many bells and whistles on, on the daily long-form show, as I'd hope, but it'll be a, you know, an early morning, 15 to 30-minute quick hit. Thank you, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you, know, you know, you guys, sometimes I say 15 to 30, and it's 45. Um, and that'll be super early. Like, I'm getting up 5.30, rocking that, five, you know, 6.30 Eastern. <laughs> uh, and then um, you'll have a, a two-hour show, kind of like JB and Goldwater will stream live during the day, Monday through Friday. So looking forward to all of that. Uh, And I appreciate Carolina Faithful, your uh, support for the podcast and for the daily show coming up. I'm fired up about it. Thomas tweets at the Bigs per pod with regard to the light replacements and upgrades. Are these just lights or they have the ability to change colors like UGAs? I know a lot of people see it as unnecessary, but personally, I think it looks cool. Well, these are LED lights, and that's what UGA and Bama have. And a lot of other stadiums have them, too. So I'm assuming it's, it's going to be like that with the color changes and, and all that good stuff. And, you know, uh, Whittle had this on the website. I don't mind telling you what he was told was the atmosphere at williams Bryce is going to be a lot different next year because uh, they're fixing a lot of things. You know, the sound system needed to be fixed a long time ago. I mean, I sat – Gosh, it was, I think, Muschamp's first spring game. I was there, and I sat in the end zone where the students are now under that speaker, and my head rattled, man. Uh, and my seats were there one year back in the 2000s, and I, I almost had to wear, like, earplugs. I was a little bit less sensitive to things down then. Of course, you know, I, I, I didn't have any beers before the spring game that year because I was working, but, uh, you know, a lot of those games I had beers. So maybe I should have beers if I sit under on that. But uh, I thought the sound system completely had sucked, sucked for a long time. Uh, and so it's going to be new. It's going to be uh, instead of one big uh, bullhorn type speaker, uh, it's going to be a bunch of smaller ones all over the stadium. So you'll be able to, uh, you'll be able to kind of hear everything clearly. Uh, the DJ may come back because that's been the problem. The acoustics in the stadium have been an issue for a while. And I'm wondering if the new sound system may not help uh, the band uh, a little bit. Uh, I, I, the, on the West side, you know, the visiting band sits in that corner and you can hear their fight song. Remember back in the Holtz era, 
Rocky Top, my God, or Glory Glory, whatever. You know, all Auburn, War Eagle, whatever. I mean, that's stunk, and you could barely hear the mighty sound of the Southeast, right? So maybe that changes it as they mic things up and with the acoustic, but that's going to happen. And, you know, the lights, my understanding is just like Georgia's or, or Bama's or whoever has that. So, you know, if the first game's a night game, which yeah, I'm not sure it will be, but if it is, hey, you get a good shot at looking at it. And, uh, I'm pretty sure there'll be a night game relatively early in the season. But, yeah, it's going to be a massive upgrade. And really, you know, every, a lot of people do take shots at Ray and the administration no matter what. Uh, this was something that they would have had in last year, but there's something called a supply chain issue in our country right now that, you know, if I had another show, I would probably get into pretty deep. But, uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where that that it just couldn't be no matter what they did, it couldn't be helped. Thanks, Thomas, Chris, St. Pete. Now that we've gone through an entire year uh, with the Beamer era, what has changed behind the scenes with the recruiting and support staff sizes or structures when compared to previous ones? Is there a lot to do with that to be on the level of elite teams? Uh, no. Um, I uh, I don't know why people think that adding more people like Alabama's got is some kind of going to let you recruit like Alabama. Uh, but that's just not that's just not how it works. Uh, they do have more people behind the scenes than Muschamp did, helping in recruiting. I think Beamer, you know, Muschamp was heavily involved in recruiting as well. Uh, I think Beamer is just as good with that. Uh, you have a lot of discussion meetings about it, and, and, and Taylor Edwards and his staff. That's the difference, in my opinion, Taylor. Taylor's different than some of these other guys. And, like, you know, Drew Hughes and then the guy before him, Matt Lindsey, uh, they all kind of came from that Alabama end of things. So did Taylor. But Taylor's cut from a little bit different cloth. I don't know if you've listened to the the interview with him. But he, he's a little different than those guys. And I'm not saying those guys are cookie cutter or anything, but Taylor's got a little more personal. I don't want to say – I don't want to – I like those other two guys personality wise, but I, I, let's just say, I think Taylor Edwards is exactly kind of the guy Carolina needs. He's been at some places like Arkansas and Maryland that, that, you know, they're not blue bloods. And so you're not just sitting there salivating over, you're trying to find guys that can make it work and evaluate. And then his staff is excellent. Uh, and, and then what's she asked me, what's changed behind the scenes, Chris, you, you, you got guys, that are not necessarily recruiting guys, but you guys, guys like Derek Moore, who Derek's probably worth about three commits a year. Uh, and Luke Day, who's probably worth about two, that's a strength coach and, and kind of a life coach. Uh, and those guys are big in recruiting. Those guys really help. Um, you know, so it, it, it's not that it's necessarily this dramatically larger group of people, you know. And uh, it's funny because everybody saw – you know, uh, Billy Napier talks about this a lot at Florida about having a vast number of staff members and, you know, they had the budget to hire, but, but he's, he's throwing the number 40 around, uh, including analysts and everybody. And I, I counted them up and last I checked Carolina had 40 something. So, you know, Beamer's staff size, I think is completely irrelevant um, in terms of, 
you know, the deal. Um, you know, and 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 but I, I will say this: there are more people that can recruit, and more armor people helping out. I I thought Will Muschamp from time to time was like a two man band in recruiting. I didn't realize it. You know, you, you kind of look at that staff, and you're like, well, who was good? Well, Bobby Bentley was a good recruiter. Um, I don't think you could say T. Rob or B. Mac were tore it up on the recruiting trail. Will Muschamp himself was good. Mike Peterson was good at building relationships, not a closer. Eric Wolford was a great recruiter and always will be, uh, you know, but, you know, that staff wasn't necessarily the super recruiters everybody thought they were. A lot of them have been at places where, you know, you walk in the door and you get guys. You know, I think this staff, with a lot of guys that have been at FCS and group of five schools and places like that that are kind of young and hungry are actually a little bit better suited. You know, there's a couple of exceptions, but uh, – I think they're good. And that's that's the on the field staff. The off the field staff, I think, second to none. Thank you so much with uh, with regards to that. Speaking of off the field staff, Freddie Kitchens, and I didn't mention this in news and notes because I got on a, ta- a tangent, but in football, former Browns head coach Freddie Kitchens has been named as a senior analyst to South Carolina's football staff. Former Alabama quarterback, uh, he and Shane Beamer go way, 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 way back. Uh, uh, back to when they were at Mississippi State together. After that, Kitchens was out with the Cardinals with, I think, Bruce Arians, if I'm not mistaken. And I remember uh, Beamer talking about going out visiting with him. They're buddies, I mean, from way back. People talk about Satterfield and Beamer being buddies. Well, Freddie Kitchens is his buddy, too. Um and his daughter is on an equestrian scholarship in South Carolina. And I just think at this point, going back to college ball and helping Shane out is probably very attractive. Uh, and, and so Gabe Cop Pastor asked me, what's the biggest impact made on this year's team from Kitchens being on staff? I, I think it's just another set of eyeballs. And also kind of another guy that's been in the head coaching chair, uh, sort of like Pete Limbo, uh, to bounce things off of. Uh, you know, obviously I think, you know, having dialed it up in the NFL, he he probably has a good feel for play calling. Um, he's not going to call the plays, but, uh, you know, what analysts do is basically analyze. Um, they uh, self-scout. Um, you know, it just kind of depends on what the head coach wants them to do. Uh, and, and Beamer wasn't vague about it, but it, it sounded like sort of an all of the above. Analyze the whole operation. Let me know what you think. You know, you're going to have a say in this. And I think that's very, very attractive. Um, and look, it's the Alabama way. Alabama's got guys that were former head coaches here, there, and yonder that come to Tuscaloosa and they, as analysts, and they end up, uh, you know, uh, going on to, to head coaching jobs here and there, they get put on staff full time, uh, you know, but I, I think that that's, you know, that's probably the biggest impact is just on the entire organization. Somebody said recruiting. I, I just don't, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I, you know, he, he's going to be on campus with it, but he can't hit the road and all that good stuff. But uh I do think so many guys are like obsessed with going to the NFL. I mean, that you, you can sell that. You know, hey, here's a guy that's done it at the highest level or whatever. You know, Carolina now has an analyst, senior analyst that was an NFL head coach and an assistant um, strength coach that was an NFL head strength coach for many years. So you got some guys that know what they're doing. 
you know, credit Shane Beamer. I always knew that uh, I knew he'd hire a good staff. I think people were expecting names and, and all that at the beginning, but uh, you know, and I'm not saying everybody's perfect by, by any stretch, but uh, you know, you sort of look at the organization he continues to build and, and it's impressive. All right, going to uh, be right back, Tony Pope State Farm. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, we're back. Tony Pope State Farm Insurance. Happy Friday afternoon to all of you out there. Uh, uh, just uh, I'm recording this at about 1230 uh, Eastern, and I've got Mike, JC, and Morgan with Barrett Salee with all the Saban Jimbo stuff coming up. If you want to know my opinion on that, listen to that podcast. Uh, and we're recording at uh, 1.30 Eastern time, and uh, I just got a, a mission from the missus. Uh, I got to go. So this probably isn't going to get out till this afternoon. Uh, and also for those of you that are in the inbox, the inside the game guys at gmail.com, uh, I am going to have a special mailbag episode for Saturday, uh, tomorrow morning, ready to go Saturday, Supercade episode, uh, which I think you guys will like uh, as well. This is the I help consulting mailbag. And if you're a business owner, you're always looking to save time and money. That's where I help consulting can help. I help as a game owned and operated company whose only mission is to help businesses save money on expenses. So if you're paying too much for credit card processing, internet insurance, or anything else, I help can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. Remember, if I help cannot save your business any money, you don't pay them anything. That's right. If I help can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text Daniel Owens, 843 372 5713. Or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again is 843-372-5713. I help consulting. How can I help you? And I appreciate Daniel and I help being a sponsor of here, JB and Goldwater. And also uh, appreciate him being a friend. I mean, just a great guy. That's the type of guy, if you're going to get a consulting, I mean, sorry, a consultant, uh, you need to go in that direction because he's not going to screw you like some of these guys out there. Now, if you're a consultant and you're out there and you listen to this podcast, or if you're a Gamecock fan, then I'm not talking about you. I'm not trying to label all consultants. I just knew a few back in the day and some of the businesses had bad experiences and thought they were overpaid. And I was like, man, I wish I could have a job where I just kind of came in and told everybody what to do and left and went home and ate a steak. You know, that's not what Daniel does. He works tirelessly for you. You are his client. And so that'll be good. Uh, and again, the six of you, I'm looking at six right now, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Going to have a special episode for you Saturday for the week through the weekend. Uh, so you guys can, can rock and roll uh, with all that. Just kind of ran out of time today because I blathered on and on. Um, okay. So bullheaded. I don't know. 
JC, if you heard the NIL rant by Saban, boy, did he come off insecure by claiming Texas A&M paid players plus calling Dion out to me. It reminded him of ranting about the hurry up offense ruining college football. And he adjusted and he adjusted to that. Why can't he adjust to this? They get played and paid enough and look, move on. Last time I checked, he won three national titles since the inception of the hurry up offense. Yeah, I, you know, and Jimbo called him out pretty good. Um, I'll say this, Nick Saban, when he usually says what's the best for the, uh, the game, not even talking about Alabama, he's usually right. And uh, I'll say this, he, he usually adjusts, and it's usually to his advantage. And, and, and so anyone who's sitting out there talking about Nick Saban, I heard some people say the game may have passed him by now. Now, no, no, no. He'll make a word to his advantage. And I think that was kind of the, the whole deal there. And uh, Gamecock Pastor also had a tweet, what are the national implications of the comments made by Saban and Fisher? How do you see the landscape of college football shifting based on the claims that were made? And how does it affect the Gamecocks? It's, I don't think any of this affects – like their comments affect the Gamecocks or landscape of college football. I, I think it's the same situation, though, with NIL. Um, you have all these different state laws governing the different payouts and stuff, and it just creates a, a mess. And, and, and I think with a lot of schools, you're going to have to ask the question, how are you, how are you supposed to be competitive uh, and how is this supposed to be a competitive sport? And do we need to divide it up? I mean, California is, and look, the next good idea that comes out of the state government of the state of California will, will be the last, will be the first, in my opinion. And I'm just talking recently. Uh, they're wanting to give guarantee college athletes in men's and women's basketball, football, football, half the department's revenue, half the athletic revenue. <laughs> Well, obviously, you know, that, that's going to leave California to just have its own league. You know, that's what I would do. You know, or you, you could play with the other blue states that want to pass some crap like that. You know, I mean, you know, you can go play Connecticut every year because I'm sure they would pass it. And this isn't about politics. I, I think this is about, you know, people not doing research and understanding exactly what things are, reading surface level. I mean, I'm convinced some of these people that, that make laws just sit on Twitter all day. Uh, and then whatever their worldview is, they gravitate toward that. So that's uh, that's the deal there. Um, thank you, Jay Jib, for telling uh, Big Game Boomer that the Big Spur pod was awesome. I certainly appreciate that. Uh, that's Game Cut Pod. And uh, he said it's the best Gamecock. And Reggie Rose is the best Gamecock podcast, and I appreciate that. It is the most well-listened to according to some of the rankings, uh, and I appreciate that. And I, I, I love all the other podcasts, too. I tell everybody to listen to all of them if they possibly can. Um, all right. John Whittle just has a tweet about NCAA enforcement changes. The head coach is responsible. For any staff violation, without exception, they'll ban coaches from postseason, multi-million dollar fines, scholarship losses follow coaches. Oh, well, recruiting rules changing. Uh, this is good stuff from, from uh, Fisher. 
Uh, they would eliminate any designation of what is a coach, graduate assistant volunteer, but also notable, notable uh, hiring individual. Oh, they're okay. This is a lot of stuff. I got to get into this. Um, so who knows what the NCAA is going to do. All right. Like I said, I'll get to those mailbag questions later uh, with a special episode for tomorrow. I was going to do a special Saturday Super Kate episode anyway, uh, but I'm just going to go ahead and save those. So we'll have something to talk about, right? Uh, also, Carolina Rise, uh, the collective. I, I got the green light to go ahead and keep on with that instead of pausing it. I'm sorry for the pause, but uh, again, if you'd like to, to, Carolina needs NIL money, folks. And 100% of this so far, I, I've, I've put thousands of my own money into uh, the startup costs and stuff like that. And that's, I don't mind doing that. Um, so, $0 have been spent on quote unquote expenses. And uh, at last check, uh, as far as between annual pledges and money coming off PayPal, we're at 123,668 bucks a year. And that's a good number considering it's just been through PayPal and the kindness of some of you guys. And like I said, no, no donations too small. I mean, look, man, you give $10 a month, that's 120 bucks a year. That's, that's, that's a great contribution. I think, I mean, and you get enough of those, heck that's, that's an NIL deal uh, for a football. You know, you get five. That's a that's a one day, one shot, boom, five hundred buck NIL deal for a player. Uh, and so I appreciate every one of you that that have been given. And for those of you that would like to get on board now, and you want the link to the PayPal, that's fine. You want the address to send a check, that's fine too. Uh, Carolina Rise. That's uh, the NIL collective that I have started. All right. Appreciate you guys. Holler at you tomorrow. Don't forget, there'll be a JC and Morgan that comes out. Going to do that here in about 45 minutes. Uh, excited about that as normal. Uh, and we'll talk to you guys then. Inside the Gamecast Podcast, JC Sherbert signing off.